0: have you along for the ride thanks a lot for stopping by been a while but uh, we've got him back it's brendan carr he's an fcc commissioner brendan how are you good to see you again yeah so good to join you thanks so much for having me joe i, I appreciate hearing from you the, the other day i thought that we put net neutrality to bed now if we go back a few years um net neutrality was being shoved down our throats ajit pai was the chair at the point at that point we had him on you were on all the time explaining exactly what it was the problem is those who named these things Name them incorrectly on purpose, this has been sold to the American public as without it, we would have no internet. Without it, only the rich people would have internet or some crap. And, and I think the, the first time we talked about it was three or four, maybe five years ago. And Brendan, I guess we haven't had the internet since.
1: Yeah, exactly. This is you know such an important issue and I'm glad that you're covering it. You're right. If you think back six years ago, 2017, when Ajit Pai and my fellow Republicans on the FCC repealed the Obama era net neutrality rules, it was one of the most Orwellian campaigns in regulatory history. They said CNN blaring headline, end of the internet as we know it. The Senate Democrat caucus tweeted that without net neutrality, you'll get uh, the internet one word at a time. Of course, none of that was true. It was all cover for government control of the internet. So of course, uh, now they're going to run the exact same play. But the American people aren't going to be as easy to be fooled this time because since that 2017 repeal. Internet speeds on the wireless side in the U.S. aren't slowing down in one word at a time. It's six times faster. Right. Prices for Internet services have actually decreased in real dollars, uh, while utility-regulated services, the prices for them uh, have increased. So I hope the American people don't fall for it this time. It's not net neutrality. Uh, it's government control of the Internet.
0: Well, exactly right. Government control of the Internet, government regulation even more than it does now of the Internet, higher fees and, and, and prices for the Internet – But the argument they were trying to make was that an Internet service provider, an ISP, could for some reason throttle you and not throttle the next guy, or if too many people were watching Netflix, the Internet would blow up or something. The whole sales pitch didn't make sense other than it scared everybody who was using the Internet and who were relying on the Internet that it's going to go away. So just so that we're clear, net neutrality is not in place right now, right?
1: Well, it depends. Yes and no. So right now, if an Internet provider like AT&T or Comcast were to block, or throttle or discriminate against someone, that would be a violation of federal law because as part of our 2017 repeal, we made the carriers tell us, are you gonna engage in that type of bright line conduct, we call it, and they said no. And so if they were to do that, it would be a violation of their representation to the FCC. So we don't need to go to this heavy handed utility approach because we already have those rules in place. So again, it's a total sleight of hand. They wanna say yeah. that neutrality, but on the other hand, it's really not about that at all. It's about the government bureaucrats sitting here in D.C. getting to second guess how the internet functions. They get to decide under these proposed rules what is just and reasonable. They want to put back in place something called a general conduct standard, where we're basically roving around and saying what we like or we don't like. Uh, and so this is a real mistake. And frankly, listen, you know President Obama's top lawyer, uh, Don Varilli, he was a solicitor general, came out just a couple of weeks ago and said that. If the FCC were to do this, to treat the internet as a utility, it would, in his words, be an enormous and transformative expansion in regulatory authority. This is the guy that went to the Supreme Court, Don wow. Marilly, and argued the Obamacare case, which transformed the healthcare economy, and said that's no big deal. He sounded the alarm and saying, but this, this is a bridge too far. So uh, it's not my words, it's you know Obama's SG that is saying this is transformative.
0: It's uh, Commissioner Brendan Carr. He's from the FCC, go to FCC.org. Uh, Follow him everywhere. Uh, very active over on X or Twitter, whatever we're calling it. So if we strip away all the BS, this is basically a government um, control play and a government fee play. Like, there are fees in when I fly. There are fees and when I rent a car. All sorts of government fees. The government's getting a kickback in everything. Are they not getting enough of a kickback from the Internet and this would actually add something in the fine print every month that I'm paying?
1: Yeah, very could hit. Uh, very much could hit Americans in their pocketbook. This utility regulation of the internet does, in fact, open it up to more taxes, to more fees, and frankly, a worse experience. If you look at Europe, for instance, they have something much more like this utility regulation of the internet. When COVID-19 hit, almost all of our lives shifted onto the internet. Yes. Traffic surged globally. You know what they did in Europe? The regulators called up Netflix and asked them to throttle, to down res, or as we call ration, yeah. Their uh, bandwidth, because they were afraid that the continent's uh, networks were going to break because they're so underinvested as compared to the U.S. because of the regulatory structure. And so it's amazing to me, COVID-19 was really the ultimate stress test of global telecom policy. Our networks did great because of all the investment we have, because of our light-touch approach, uh, and Europe really was on the the verge of, uh, of
0: breaking. Okay, so let's break it down to, to the very basic Truth versus what the sales pitch is. They call it net neutrality, which means everybody gets the same equal access to the Internet. Without it, we're all going to be screwed and they can pick and choose who they want to have fast and who they want to have slow. In reality, we now know that it's a sort of a pay for play, a regulating move, the more power and control in central government, more money for them. But they're also saying something about high-speed internet will now go to the, to the rural areas or to the underserved areas. Without net neutrality, that, that'll never happen. Is that the current sales pitch? Is this how they'll try to get, get the American people to agree with them that you know, Mean Joe Pags and Brendan Carr have high-speed internet, but you don't in such and such a neighborhood? That's inequitable. We need net neutrality.
1: Well, look, it's like Lucy with the football. They're always running out some you know, <laughs> facially appealing argument, and it really, it's just control. So, rural broadband, look. This is a wrong move for rural broadband. This is a regulatory onslaught from D.C. that's going to slow down rural Internet bills. Now they're saying in the document, we need this for national security. And I have no idea what they mean by we need to do this for national security. But it's uh, it's quite something if that's the the, the policy we're invoking. But every single time there's another facial justification. But it's just a, a thinly veiled move to get more control.
0: It, it, Brendan, this is sort of the move, the modern move by the government. It's about national security. We have to go and arrest the person who pr- prayed outside of an abortion clinic. National security. We have to go and stop the people from speaking at the school board. National security. We need CISA, yep. which I think it, it, in its inception was a good idea, but now they've used it to every nth degree that it was an, intended to do. And CISA now says we can regulate what Carr and what PAG say on Twitter because national security. At some point, don't we have to put our feet down as a free and liberated people and say, listen, you can't restrict every one of our constitutional amendments and and try to say it's about national security?
1: Well, that's right. Look, this document that we're going to vote on in two weeks at the FCC, it asks questions about whether we should cover VPN services, should we cover web hosting services. The good news is the FCC is going to lose in court. This is one of the things that President Obama's lawyer said. He said, given the major questions doctrine and the current Supreme Court makeup, this decision by the FCC will be dead on arrival in the courts. But nonetheless, we're going to go down this multi-year path of diverting resources towards adopting this. And don't forget, the entire mustard seed of this idea came from Silicon Valley, from uh, Netflix, where they wanted the federal government to regulate effectively their distribution network, the ISPs, the internet providers. And that's where this all originated from. Well, 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 hold on. well
0: how, do, how do they benefit from that? Netflix is just a for-profit outlet. How do they benefit from having the government help them throttle different areas?
1: Well, Netflix wants the government to come in and direct ISPs to operate their networks because Netflix was worried that ISPs would try to enter into some sort of agreement with them. Um, and so it was designed to protect big tech from having to deal with uh, ISPs. And so that's where all the funding for this came from in terms of the campaigns wow. on the left to impose all of this. The, the, the mustard seed of all of this is back in Silicon Valley. And it's also to their benefit because it distracts the federal government. We're not looking at the discrimination taking place by big tech. We're not looking at the censorship that big tech is doing. Instead, big tech is saying, hey, look over here at Internet providers, impose heavy-handed regulations on them. So that's also part of what's going on here.
0: It is uh, Brendan Carr. He's an FCC commissioner. Go to FCC.gov. Follow him everywhere. I think it's Brendan Carr FCC, right, over yep. on X. Um, yep. I, I, don't think, I don't think you and I talked about this, and this is going to ask for more opinion than, than really a commissioner, uh, the commissioner, you know, standard answer. But but you, you've never had a problem giving me opinion before. <laughs> A year later, is it a good thing that Elon Musk owns X? got to tell you, the algorithms aren't fixed. There are some people that are whitelisted. The rest of us are still ghost banned. I don't think he's done what he said he would do. Freedom of speech but not freedom of reach is literally not freedom of speech. It just isn't. So is it, was it a good thing, do you think?
1: Well, look, I've always been of the view that we need Section 230 reform. I do think yeah. that Musk has made some good moves. But at the end of the day, we should not have to trust that a billionaire, whether benevolent or otherwise, is going to do the right thing. You know the the public square that social media is is too important so i've always been of the view, even with elon musk in charge i'm not putting all my faith in, in, in him doing the right thing we need to have some guardrails in place that promote speech on the internet and this is what's so interesting some people say well how do you you know, have that position on big tech but against net neutrality it's simple the discrimination that's taking place in the internet ecosystem is taking place by big tech companies the proposal yes. we're voting on does absolutely nothing about it and we're not voting on a proposal to put simple non-discrimination rules in place, we're voting on a proposal that would put the government in charge. So it's sort of an apples and oranges situation here.
0: You know, it's, it's a very good answer, but but it takes me to, to the next question. Shouldn't it not be a bait and switch? And you and I have talked about this a lot of times. I have 170,000 on Twitter now, let's say. And when I post, five days later, 11,000 people saw it. That's just wrong. I'm telling my listeners, my viewers, my friends, my family, hey, go follow me on X and you'll see what I post, and they simply don't. Why are they allowed to do that bait-and-switch? Come to this platform. It's a free speech platform. Say whatever you want, and if people follow you, they'll see it. Like, I've been ghost-banned and shadow-banned by Facebook now for five or six years because I dared interview Mike Lindell, or I dared interview uh, Donald Trump or Rudy Giuliani. At some point, shouldn't somebody be able to, like maybe from your, your organization, maybe from the central government somewhere else, maybe from, from representatives and senators, can't they tell Silicon Valley, hey, you can't do this. You can't invite somebody in and then shut them down. That's not, that's not something that, that is a, a free enterprise move. This is more of a bait and switch, which is, which is illegal. Does any of that make sense? Yeah, I think
1: you're exactly right. And the reason why it's taking place is Section 230. I've long called for Section 230 reform. And look, I'm more than happy to put some basic non discrimination rule in place that covers the entire internet ecosystem. But again, that's apparently not where we are. We are just myopically focused on the internet providers and not just putting non discrimination in place, but this entire utility style style structure uh, where the government gets to decide what is just and reasonable on the internet. So I do think we need to have a better conversation about. Let's look holistically. Where is the discrimination taking place online? It's not at your local mom and pop ISB. Right. It's by big tech. So if we want to have this conversation about discrimination, let's talk about where in the Internet ecosystem it's really happening.
0: What was but we're not, going to talk, we're
1: not going to talk about it.
0: No, exactly. What – what exactly was Section 230 supposed to do? This is from the 90s, right? This is maybe CompuServe and Prodigy and AOL maybe existed. It wasn't really about these gigantic platforms like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and so on. So we couldn't really foresee what the Internet would become. What was what was it supposed to do? Just protect um, those who ran a, a bulletin board system from liability? What was it?
1: Yeah, it's a statute that made some sense back in the day when the internet functioned much more like, uh, like you said, a a bulletin board, the type of moderation that was taking place was really not that much and not that sophisticated. But now, you know, all these social media companies run on these very sophisticated algorithms for which bias can be inserted at many, many levels. And so I do think we have to fundamentally revisit Section 230. There's a piece of it, one piece of it that says if you leave speech up, you're not liable for it. If it happens to be tortious, I think that's great. That's a pro-speech provision. The problem is the second part of 230 says you can take speech down, censored. Not just with a First Amendment right, but with these bonus statutory rights. That second part, which has been misconstrued by the courts, as Justice Thomas has said repeatedly, is really what needs to be fixed. If you're going to censor, then do it within the scope of your First Amendment rights, whatever they are. But do not we shouldn't give people these bonus incentives to engage in that type of
0: censorship. Exactly right. It's Brendan Carr, FCC Commissioner. Let's circle back to what we started talking about. Net neutrality, it's going to be voted on, you said, in a couple of weeks. It's going to pass. You've got three to two Democrats now on, uh, on the FCC board. What happens then? Who's going to sue immediately? Will some state have to say, hey, wait a second, uh, Missouri probably would because that guy, Andrew Bailey, is awesome. Um, would a state have to sue? And, and you think that, that net neutrality would be gone in the courts?
1: Yeah, so we'll vote in two weeks here on the FCC on a proposal. That'll then open up a period of time when the public can comment on it. Then I believe we'll go to a final order sometime in the spring, late spring of next year. That final order will be what can be appealed to the courts. And any number of people that have standing could take that to the courts. And once we get there, I think uh, my side, my view is going to prevail that we don't have the authority to do this at the FCC. But again, that's going to take time. It's going to take government resources. And again, we could be solving illegal robocalls, we could be doing more on rural broadband, we can make it easier to build out internet infrastructure. But instead, almost every component of this agency that I work is going to be focused on, you know, net neutrality, and everything else is going to be not just moved to the back burner, but knocked off the stove entirely. And that's just a waste.
0: I got to tell you, you just opened a Pandora's box, and I won't take too much of your time on this. But I get calls all day long. It seems to me that somebody calling me from India, who's using my area code, that should be illegal. How can you possibly identify yourself as somebody who lives you know, in my same town by using the same area code and even maybe the same exchange when you're nowhere near where we are? And I know you're doing it through VOIP, and I don't have a problem with VOIP. I use it for my call screens every day. But why is it legal to misrepresent where you are when you're dialing my phone unsolicited?
1: It is illegal, and we take lots of steps to crack down on it, but it's a whack-a-mole initiative. Every time we find one mechanism by which these calls are coming into this country, there's another one uh that comes in a different way and so we're staying on top of it but again there'll be some resources that we would otherwise divert to that that are going to be uh diverted to deal with this charade of net neutrality which is just religion i mean look it's all over basically except for the yelling and the fundraising but we're going to still go through it
0: uh, brendan one last thing on the calls if somebody calls and i answer and i say take me off your list do they still have to
1: yeah but again these are people that are calling usually from overseas that that don't abide by those rules anyways
0: that stinks. All right, we're going to keep a close eye on what happens in a couple of weeks and uh, certainly come back on after the vote happens and once the, the actual discussion the courts happen. And, and I, I'm, I agree with you. Everybody watching and listening agrees with you. Why spend the money here when you could be doing so many more things that are effective for the American people, which is the yeah. charge of the agency? Brendan, I appreciate yep. you working hard for us. Let's get into TikTok next time. I know that we'll you've, got a re- you've got a very strong opinion on that. FCC.gov, follow on Brendan Carr FCC over on all the social media. Thanks a million. Appreciate you.
1: Yeah, thanks, buddy. Great to
0: see you. All right, Brett, We're back after this. Stay right here. awesome now Brendan Carr on he is an FCC commissioner was just uh, re-upped for another five years so he's going to be fighting for us on that commission And again the way that it works is whoever is the president gets to appoint who's going to be on the FCC board of commissioners and it's always going to be a majority to the party of the president when when Trump was president for four years you had Ajit Pai was the uh, was the chairman you had three Republicans two Democrats Now, with Biden in office, you've got three Democrats and two Republicans, but Carr is always going to tell the truth. And always keep in mind, when the government names something, always be skeptical, like the Affordable Care Act wasn't. You know what I mean? The Inflation Reduction Act didn't. The net neutrality is not anything neutral about the internet. It's just not. So keep that in mind. You're going to get a flood of information soon in advertising everywhere, online and elsewhere about how great net neutrality is and why it's so needed. And I'm here to tell you it's not. It's just a boondoggle so that the government gets to grab more of your money. You're already working a, por- a portion of your time to, to fund the government and whatever it wants to do. Um, why would you ever want to pay more fees on the Internet? That's working perfectly. They'll lie and say the Internet can't handle it if we increase uh, usage. That's not true. A great, we, we proved that through the, through the pandemic. Uh, 888-941-PAGS, JoePags.com. Time for some pop culture. Bob? Dirty pop. <laughs> Hi, right, Paul, we'll make it happen.
1: All right, so you know when the writer's strike thing was was still going on, some of these yep. talk show hosts were considering coming back, and then I think one of the ones that I guess more famously got people upset was Drew Barrymore. Uh, she was talking about her, her show getting ready to come back, and then because the strike was still going on, people were upset, so she ended up changing her mind and not coming back. Right. Well, now that I guess the writer strike is over, all these shows are getting ready to come back, and three of her head writers have quit the show because of the fact that what she was
0: trying to do. Because she said she might come back. How stupid is that? She didn't.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, she was going to, but she got a lot of backlash for it. So then she changed her mind. But because of that, they're all they decided to quit.
0: Bunch of children. I'm just saying, and I've never watched her show. I don't care about her show, but that just sounds dumb. Polo, oh, I appreciate that. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. Carrie, thanks. It's Joe. We'll see you back tomorrow. Same time, same place. Have a great night. Bye. This is The Joe Pegg Show.